Chunk McBeef Chest aims to serve the world. I want to bring happiness to everyone. I want people to understand that they could improve their lives, the lives of the people around them. And so one of the best ways to do that is just to give people advice. Now, I, I don't want to take the authoritative stance here. I'm not going to give you advice of my own. I'm going to read you some quotes from a book published in 1943 called Sex Today in Wedded Life. The first part is about what happens when your man comes home. So this is focused on women. Women, just they don't get stuff right unless it's explained to them. Uh, You may think that I'm mansplaining to you right now by even saying that, but we're going to see in a minute that that is just factually incorrect. Because, well, yeah, I'll just let the words speak for themselves. Don't bother your husband with petty troubles and complaints when he comes home from work. Be a good listener. Let him tell you his troubles. Yours will seem trivial in comparison. So when I come home from work, and you're my wife, I I mean, any problem I have, should it be there was no coffee at work, or uh, my pants don't fit, any problem you have, like cancer, is suddenly going to seem really trivial, because I was slightly uncomfortable all day today. Nothing you've experienced will ever compare to that. Remember, your most important job is to build up and maintain his ego. And this is true. You should be lifting your man up. There's brackets, which gets bruised plenty in business. So your husband, yes, he's a shitty businessman. He can't do his job right. And he feels like shit all day. He comes home. Don't make it worse. Don't tell him how to improve his life or anything. No, you just, you just tell him he's great. You know, in the fact that he gets nothing right in his life, he is still great and better than you. Morale is a woman's business. Let him relax before dinner. Discuss family problems after the inner man has been satisfied. I assume the inner man actually is talking about appetite. I was, my first thought, because this book was called Sex and Satisfaction, I just assumed what they meant was you were going to have sex like during dinner. I I guess that's a very like not 1950s idea. Reverend Alfred Henry Tyrer has a little bit to add on this. Uh, he's, he starts talking about a, a thing they, they refer to as nagging. I verily believe, I don't, we don't say verily anymore. I verily believe that happiness of homes is destroyed more frequently by the habit of nagging than by any other one. Not drinking or, you know, the fact that everyone just got back from the Korean War, uh, that they were suffering from PTSD, that the marriage was forced because of some other reason other than love. You know, Nagging is what what breaks up marriages. A man may stand for that sort of thing, uh, brackets, nagging, for a long time, but the chances are against his standing it permanently. If he needs peace to make his life bearable, he will have to look for it elsewhere than in his own house. And it is quite likely that he will look. So he's saying, like, if you have problems in your family, you don't talk about it. You're there to feed his ego and make him feel secure even if both of you are incredibly unhappy. Just keep that in mind. But of course, if the man wants to talk and nag and complain, well, then then this is a different situation. If, uh, in brackets, the husband, brackets, is intellectually inclined. So uh, at least this, this is being honest. Not all men are intellectually inclined. So if you have happened to marry a man who is intellectually inclined, it's, it's time to listen to him. If the husband is intellectually inclined and from time to time seeks to explain little things to her so that she may have at least a bare knowledge of what it is that interests him, and without the slightest comment 
She takes up again the fashion magazine she laid down when he commenced to speak. We may be pretty sure there is going to be a, quote, rift in the loot sooner or later in that house. So basically, I think the comparable thing would be me talking to my wife about podcasting. She knows I do it. She knows I spend a lot of my free time doing it when no one else is the house. So if I start explaining to her and she gets bored because she's not interested in it, she's, she's made a horrendous mistake. Your job is to listen to me because I am intellectually inclined and you are not. That is just a standard given. And, and this could be referred to as mansplaining. Uh, I'm not 100% clear on what mansplaining is. But I mean, it's, it's just clear. You're supposed to accept it. And if you have intellectual interests and stuff, I, I don't want to hear about it. I got other things to do. I, my ego was bruised all day today at work. Rift in the lute, I wasn't 100% sure what that meant. Uh, I know a lute is the instrument that bards play. Um, I guess a rift in it would mean it's cracked or broken. So I guess it just means like, again, basically you do anything wrong, your man is perfectly justified in picking up and leaving. Uh, so it comes, it comes down to dinner now. A social service meeting, an afternoon tea, a matinee, a, a whatnot. There's no excuse for there being no dinner ready when a husband comes home from a hard day's work. Housekeeping accomplishments and cooking are, of course, positive essentials in any true home. And every wife should take a reasonable pride in her skill. Happiness does not flourish in an atmosphere of dyspepsia. Dyspepsia is a great word. I didn't actually know what it meant. I had to go look it up. It just means indigestion. Um, but you see, what they've done, they've gotten some beautifully creative language there. Dyspepsia is the actual physical ailment because the food is not good or not ready or whatever. So again, if you have not made me a dinner and I feel sick or gross, I can leave you perfectly justified but also they're talking about the atmosphere of the marriage if i feel like choked or like things are not going perfectly i am justified in just packing up and leaving because you've not done your job bad cooking is responsible for dyspepsia dyspepsia is responsible for grouchiness and irritability grouchiness and irritability lead to quarrels and squabbles and bad cooking which is the usual thing in the average American home, has been responsible as much as any other factor for driving the husband to the saloon and to other places. And when she does cook, she should cook and not be, as somebody said, a mere can opener. So you, if you do not make food to my satisfaction every single day, I'm going to the saloon. I don't even know where a saloon is, but that's where I'm going. Just be clear on that right now. But this is, of course, only interesting in one way, and that's sex. So let's get to the advice for sexual intercourse. So it's a great opening sentence. That's all I have to say. The, the opening sentence is, it is exactly what a man needs to hear uh, to be able to justify, again, leaving his family because he's not completely satisfied with every aspect of everything in his life. Just as the vampire sucks the blood of its victims in their sleep while they are alive, so does the woman vampire suck the life and exhaust the vitality of her male partner or victim. It is to be borne in mind that it is particularly older girls, girls between 30 and 50, who are apt to be unreasonable in their demands when they get married. But no age is exempt. Sexual vampires may be found among girls of 20, as well as among women of 60 and over. So basically, if you want to have sex and I'm not up for it, I'm a victim here. If I'm not satisfying you sexually, I am the victim. Of course, it does. the coin does flip the other way. Now, if you're one of those frigid or sexually anesthetic women, 
Again, it's, it's actually more the vocabulary choices that I enjoy over everything else. Frigid or sexually anesthetic women. Don't be in a hurry to inform your husband about it. To the man, it makes no difference in the pleasurableness of the act, whether you are frigid or not, unless he knows that you are frigid. So if you're not into it, as long as you keep your mouth shut, the man will be satisfied. That is a pretty strong statement. Um, I don't know how deep we want to get into my personal opinion, but I actually believe that if both parties are not enjoying it, there is not actually any sense of satisfaction on both parties' part. Uh, if I had sex with someone and they clearly did not enjoy it, I would not want to continue uh, because I'm not a rapist. I actually find that my partner's sexual satisfaction is just as important as my own for a sense of satisfaction uh, in total. And he won't know unless you tell him. So he cannot tell if you're not into it unless you verbalize it to him. That's how different men and women are in this case. And what he doesn't know won't hurt him. Heed this advice. It has saved thousands of women from trouble. So that's a big piece of advice there. Something that uh, should your wife want to have too much sex, it's her fault. If she doesn't have enough sex, it's her fault. And it's just, it's just, let's face it, just be clear. It's her fault. This extract goes all the way back to 1917. Woman, her sex and love life. This may be considered too delicate or too trifling a subject to discuss in an important sex book. But nothing is too delicate or too trifling that concerns human happiness. And you will believe me if I tell you that nice underwear or dainty lingerie plays a very important role in marital life. If anything in a woman's toilet should be immaculately fresh and clean, it is. I emphasize her underwear. Silk and lace and delicate batiste should be preferred if they can be afforded. And attention should be paid to the color. As a rule, a delicate pink is the color that most men prefer. Um, I kind of disagree with parts of that. I, pink is not my color. Uh, but there, again, I can't really argue with a book from 1917. <laughs> parts of this are true. Yes, things should be clean. But I think, that, again, that's on both parts. That's just not the lady. We found that uh, from the advice so far, that men need to be satisfied at all times. And if they are not fully satisfied at all times, well, then it's, it, again, it's yours, the woman's fault. So should you have made any of the mistakes mentioned so far, uh, this is what you have to live with because it's your fault. But in the case of an occasional lapse on the part of the husband, there a bit of advice may prove acceptable. And my advice would be forgive and forget. Or still better, make believe that you know nothing. An occasional lapse from the straight path does not mean that he has ceased to love you. He may love you as much. He may love you a good deal more. So if you're married and your guy cheats on you, it's actually best to pretend you don't even know it happened and maybe he's going to love you more. But now we get down to the final rule from a different book. Professor B.G. Jeffries in The Searchlight on Health, The Science of Eugenics. So, you know, this has already gotten into some interesting spots. The number one rule, reverence your husband. He sustains by God's order a position of dignity as head of a family, head of the woman. Any breaking down of this order indicates a mistake in the union or a digression from duty. So let's just be real clear. If your man comes home, you should have dinner ready and not bug him. If he is in any way displeased and he leaves you and has sex with someone else, you have to pretend you didn't even know. He might even start to appreciate you for it. 
And at the end of the day, he tells you to do something. He's the boss. You shut your mouth, put on your pink panties, and do as you're told. Here's one of the problems with dealing with actually like modern political journalism. And just journalism in general is that you are often reporting on regular people. And reporting on regular people means you actually have to be kind of open to being honest about what they say. So this is pre the uh, last election. So it's going to be a few weeks ago when this gets posted. I'm a poll worker here in Brooklyn. Here's the first case of voter intimidation I've witnessed. She wrote alongside the video. It's the video of some guys like shouting at people who are probably going to vote for Biden, not Trump. I'm not sure. Uh, A bunch of little pussies, all of you, a man wearing a black sweatshirt says to people out of frame. From a distance, the man can be heard saying Antifa and motherfucker as he stands by a car with Trump flags and gears. I don't think gears is plural in this case, but I'm just going to let that go because it's not what we're talking about. In another video, the same man and his friend are seen making misogynistic and homophobic comments. They also make explicitly violent physical threats towards one man while two NYPD cops at the scene look on. City Council candidate Whitney Hugh posted a two-minute video to Twitter Tuesday morning featuring the same incident. They're threatening voters, but NYPD waiting for their supervisor. Who wrote? The video begins with one voter asking an NYPD officer to address the man in the red sweatshirt who is standing on the street a few feet away from the car with a Trump flag. His friend, the man in a black sweatshirt as seen in the other video, is in the background. I'm not doing anything illegal, the man in the red sweatshirt tells a voter. Uh, If he's actually standing in the street, he's technically jaywalking, but I think that's not what we're talking about here right now. The man from the first video, so black sweatshirt guy, walks up to them and says to the voter, Go get some Vagisil, okay? A reference to the antibacterial cream for vaginal infections. Now, this this is the bit, the line that kind of struck me. The person who has to write this article has to be accurate, which means the incredible schoolyard-level insults have to be written sort of verbatim. And then has to clarify, because a lot of people won't know what Vagisil is, the antibacterial cream for vaginal infections. And that's got to be a low point in your journalistic career when you had to write that sentence where like, oh, you know what? I don't think people are going to get what Vagisil is unless I actually go ahead and explain it. At first, the voter is confused about the reference as they didn't get the editorialization and explanation that came with this article. So the man reiterates, that's the nice part. So he says, go get some Vagisil, okay? And the other person looks like, like, what? And he says, Take care of your vag. Go get some Vagisil, the man reiterates. I know, it's iffy. It hurts. Um, and yeah, so this is, he's made an insult. And you got to give him some credit. He's not backing off the insult. He's going to make this Vagisil line work. And if he has to like kill someone to do it, he's absolutely not going to let it go. It's going to be Vagisil from here to the end of time. And if you don't get it, because I'm assuming the person he's talking to is a man which might be the reason the Vagisil reference doesn't land as strongly as maybe he would hope. The voter then says, oh, you want to grab my pussy? Is that what you're saying? Very politically adept. I mean, this was a statement Trump made and the guys made a references to vaginas. So now we can actually tie this all together. These two should be working as a team almost, coming up with you know witty repartee. 
Come grab my fucking pussy. Uh, and then the man in the black sweatshirt says, little gay boy, go away. So the sad part here, more than anything else, is he's abandoned the Vagisil reference. He's just given up. So he put a lot of work into that. And then he just, when it came down to it, he just bailed. He could have come out with another, va- like, you know, hurt vagina reference and, and just made that one hit home. And he didn't. He decided to go with homophobia. And it's just, he loses some credibility for not following through because it's the follow through that's going to make these comments stick. One of the officers present at the scene tries to say something to them and the men refuse to go back and the men refuse to back away. At one point in the video, after the voter calls the Trump supporter gay, the Trump supporter challenges him to come say it to his face. You're not in my face, says the Trump supporter, as one of the officers approaches the voter to try to quiet him. The Trump supporter says, as the officer is standing right next to him, I'll put you in the hospital. So they're very comfortable in calling other people gay. And when someone calls them gay back, you have to go up and say it to their face. You got it real close, intimate. You got to be, you know, so they can feel your breath when they get called gay. Because this is it. When you do it far away, they can't feel it. Not deep down inside. They want to feel the gayness that you're talking about come out and just wash over them. And that's going to be truly the only moment of freedom these men ever feel in their whole lives. Uh, So he says, I'm going to put you in the hospital. Person behind the camera immediately says, he's threatening physical violence. Did you hear that? The officer look on as the other men walk away. One officer says that they are waiting for their supervisor. The woman behind the camera asks, you heard him threaten violence? It's a question. The officer denies hearing it before claiming that Trump supporters can state whatever he says, but nobody's going to put him in the hospital. So this is, I think there's some confusion as to who was threatening who to put who in the hospital. Because it sounds like the Trump guy said to the voter, I'm going to put you in the hospital And then the cop says he can say whatever he wants and no one's going to put him in the hospital. Unless he's referring to himself. We need some clarification. This is not how a debate is run. And this is the problem with modern society. Okay, this is an email I received a little while ago. Um, I know P3RDVW is one of your password on day of hack. Let's get directly to the point. Now this is the kind of thing that does get your attention because that is one of my old passwords. Uh, it is a password that I was given in university 20 years ago. So it was the password to my very first email account when the internet was new. But it is a real email. It is a real password. So that's actually a little shocking at first. So what I first realized is that I needed to check that I wasn't using that password anywhere else. Because I learned that password, it was random numbers and stuff. So I thought it was going to be really secure. So I memorized it and use it for a lot of other passwords. Uh, really, in a way, this has helped me update my password list. And I can tell you, after having read this and checked that all my passwords are kind of up to date, that I am a lot more secure. But let's get on with the email. As he says, let's get directly to the point. Not one person has paid me to check about you. So not one person, it actually, that sentence means multiple people have checked, have paid him to check about me, which is a weird thing. I didn't think I had that many enemies. I didn't think people would be paying money uh, to hack something and get my old passwords. You do not know me and you're probably thinking, why are you getting this email? That is actually factually correct. You are hundred percent true. I am wondering why I'm getting this email. In fact, I actually placed a malware on the adult vids, uh, brackets, adult porn website, And you know what? You visited this site to experience fun. Brackets. You know what I mean. Non-specific. 
uh, an adult vids porn site. Now, I'll be really honest. I actually don't watch video pornography. And the reason is, as soon as they start talking, I actually usually get grossed out because it's always like, fuck me, uh, put it in deeper. And it's, it's just the stuff they say. I know it's supposed to be dirty talk. Actually, most of it kind of turns me off. Uh, most of it doesn't do anything for me. I actually like, if I was going to, and you probably don't really want to know this, a repeating GIF with no sound would be way more up my line. So I can tell you that, you know, it's not like I've never visited an adult site with videos on it, but it's actually very unlikely that I did. And experienced fun, you know what I mean. When you were viewing videos, your browser started out operating as RDP having a key, having a key logger, which provided me with accessibility to your display and webcam. Uh, I don't have a webcam. So I know most laptops and stuff now come with one built in. I'm actually on a desktop PC. Uh, I don't have a webcam connected to it because I've never really had any use for it. So now I'm starting to see things are factually incorrect. The vague information above would apply to most people who've been on the internet because most people have been to porn sites. But because he said he had access to my webcam, I know we've already gone down the wrong, he's already kind of gone down the wrong route. Immediately after that, my malware obtained every one of your contacts from your messenger, Facebook, as well as email account. Uh, Don't use Messenger. I have Facebook, but honestly, I don't use it. I just basically post uh, advertisements for my podcast there, uh, as well as email account. So I'm assuming he's saying the email account he just got this from. After that, I created a double screen video. The first part shows the video you were viewing. You have a nice taste, OMG. I mean, at least it's complimentary. So whatever I was watching, apparently, the guy attempting to blackmail me here, uh, he appreciates my taste. And second part displays the recording of your cam, and it's you. So again, that second part's impossible because I don't have a cam. So maybe he's got the wrong person. He does have my old password. So I'm, this scam is actually pretty good because if you were in a panic because you had actually fulfilled the criteria in this, this is like cold reading. You apply broad things that most people will have done and then it's actually accurate when the person reads it because they think it's true. Best solution would be to pay me $1,079. We are going to refer to it as a donation. In this situation, I most certainly will without delay remove your video. I have trouble trusting people. Uh, if you listen to Veloci podcast, you can listen to the episode where I did actually lose real money to a scam. That's made me more suspicious. I would have been suspicious of this already, but if he gets a thousand bucks out of me, there is no guarantee he's going to delete the video, it, the, the one he supposedly has. And what would be the reason to not just continue to blackmail me? So it actually would be in my best interest to not give him. It says, my Bitcoin address is, and there's a long Bitcoin address, case sensitive, copy and paste it. It's good advice though. He's saying, don't try to type this in, copy and paste it so you get it right on the first time. You could go on your life like this never happened and you will never hear back again from me. That again, I don't believe is to be true. Once you've proven to be scammable, they come after you again. You'll make the payment via Bitcoin. If you don't know this, search how to buy Bitcoin in Google. That's actually problematic because signing up for your first Bitcoin transactions is actually really hard. And I'm assuming the people who would fall for this would not be the most competent computer users as well. So they've probably knocked down how much money they can actually get 
because of the difficulty of actually getting into Bitcoin at first. If you are planning on going to the law, surely this email cannot be traced back to me because it's hacked too. Oh, this guy's, he's got all, the, all these angles covered, man. This guy's too good for me. I have taken care of my actions. I am not looking to ask you for a lot. I simply want to get paid. If I do not receive the Bitcoin, I definitely will send out your video recording to all your contacts, including friends and family, coworkers, and so on. That does imply that I would be worried about my friends, family, and coworkers watching me masturbate, which I would be embarrassed by, but not so much that I'd pay a thousand bucks to stop it. So there's different levels of, of embarrassment people suffer from. Uh, me doing something that's relatively natural. I don't think I would be that upset about it. I'd, you know, tell everyone what happened and why and what's going on. And pretty much everyone who knows me would be like, "Eh, Peter, nevertheless, if I do get paid, I will destroy the recording immediately. Again, I don't actually trust that to be true. If you need proof, reply with, yeah, then I will send out your video recording to to your eight friends. I was very tempted to do this. But again, this is a scam wherein... What they need most, more than anything else, is to realize that there is a person on the other end. Because they send these just to like as many emails as they can that are maybe vaguely connected to the passwords they've probably bought off the internet somewhere. If you respond, it means you're there and now you are an actual target of some sort. But I bet it would be impossible for him to send the recording to my eight friends. But I don't want them to know there's an actual human being on the other end. It's a non-negotiable offer, and thus please don't waste my time and yours by replying to this message, despite the fact that the previous line said, if you need proof, reply with yeah. I'm sorry to my buddy here. He's not going to get his $1,079 because if he wants to send a video of me uh, jacking it to everyone I know, I mean, there's a very small chance I've actually already done that while I was drunk anyways. You know, good luck with that. Uh Good good job, though, on getting the password correct from 20 years ago. So I'm actually, the only bit I'm left wondering is where did that password come from? It must have been something really old. I've had a couple credit cards hacked by, well, hacked, stolen by internet transactions. So I actually bet it would be an account I made. And that, again, would have been like a decade, 15 years ago. But the benefit here is that I actually updated all my security on all my all my passwords on the internet and now am better off than I was before because I'm not using this old password that they've used in this scam email. 